You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. And as you're finding your your seats, if you would go ahead and turn to John chapter 8. This morning we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of John. And once again, the topic for this morning is Jesus. John chapter 8, just put your finger there, we'll be reading um, verses 31 through 59 in, in a few moments. But just in way of introduction here and getting on the same page, John chapter 8 takes place in the temple in Jerusalem during the Feast of Booths, or the the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, They're both referring to the same festival or the same holiday. Uh, In this chapter, chapter 8, Jesus is engaged in a lengthy debate with his Jewish brethren and with they're religious leaders. Okay? So actually, this, this actually reaches back into chapter 7. In chapter 7 and 8, Jesus has made some remarkable claims. Jesus has essentially claimed to be the one who, was, who, who brought them out of Egyptian captivity. Jesus claimed to be the one who, uh, who was the true manna from heaven. Jesus claimed to be the source of living water, fulfilling the role of the rock that was in the wilderness, if you remember from your history of the nation of Israel. Jesus claims to be the true light, fulfilling the role of the fire and the cloud that led God's people in the wilderness. Think about these claims that we've already encountered so far in chapter 7 and 8. Jesus was saying everything that they were celebrating in the Feast of Booths was about Him. Everything that makes them Hebrews, that makes them Jews, Jesus is saying, I'm at the center of it. And as He continues to talk and He continues to engage and continues to teach people, we're told actually in verse 30, which we looked at last week, that that people were again beginning to believe in Him. And this really brings us to our passage, verse 31. Follow along, please, as I read aloud. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are, that you, you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. 
I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your your father. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you, because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God, words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my, words, my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and have, have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. There is so much going on here. And we're only going to be able to scratch the surface. Um, 
But basically what is happening here, the debate continues with Jesus, between Jesus, his Jewish brethren, and the religious leaders. And though some believed, we are told, both in, both in verse 30 and 31, though some believed, we're going to find out just how weak that belief was. Jesus, in these verses we just read, presents a challenge to these people who profess to believe. Jesus challenged their sense of freedom. Jesus challenged their sense of identity. And Jesus challenged their sense of theology. That's what we're going to look at quickly this morning. So let's look at the first one. Jesus challenged their sense of freedom. Verses 31 through 38. Again, verses 30 and 31 tell us that some of the Jews began to believe in Jesus. This is a good thing. They're at least opening towards Jesus. They're at least some kind of, a, of receptivity towards Jesus that's happening here. Yet when Jesus presses on with his message, their believing gives way to disbelief that then leads to scorn and finally to defiance. Jesus pushes them in their belief to follow him and to follow all that he is. So Jesus tells them in verse 32... You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We, we've heard those lines so much in our day and time, and where we are 2,000 years removed from this. And these are such freeing, wonderful lines. They just speak to, to so much within us. But the reaction of these Jewish people was the complete opposite of that. Jesus is saying something basic about these people he's speaking to. They need freedom, and he's saying that freedom is only found in the truth that he is teaching and in the truth that is in him, or that is him. These people are immediately offended by this. Part of their sense of who they were as a people, they obviously thought, we've never been slaves. Verse 33, we are Abraham's offspring and have never been enslaved to anyone. And that is true, well, except for they were enslaved by the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Syrians, and they were currently under the oppressive rule of Rome. Well, that's a pretty huge disconnect. And they were in the middle of a celebration that reminded them of their captivity and God's deliverance from their captivity. So is this a case of historical forgetfulness? Is this a case of denial? Or is this just some kind of tool they're using, this argument against Jesus, somehow to shut him down? You know, you get in the middle of an argument, your brain isn't always sharp as in, so you grasp at any kind of argument and to throw at a person. They were so offended at what Jesus said, they reached for this argument, trying to shut him down. We don't know why they said this, but Jesus doesn't back off. He goes so far as to say, they not only are enslaved, but that the Son is the only one who can free them. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Physical slavery had been a huge part of their past, even though they were denying it in this moment. But even more so, Jesus was speaking of a deeper slavery. He was speaking of a darker bondage. They were enslaved to sin. 
They were serving sin. They were serving a merciless taskmaster in their sin. And it was defiling them. And ultimately it would destroy them. Sin was vicious and unrelenting. And and it had a hold on them. And, And they may have thought they were free. But Jesus knew they were enslaved. He who practices sin is a slave to sin. He was saying you think you're free. But you are actually in bondage to sin. And that is true of all of us. That is everyone who has ever lived except Jesus. We were born into sin, and then we fully participated with that sin in our life. It's both, by nature and by decision. Sin is part of our life. So what is sin? Sin is violating God's law. And the scripture talks, it actually uses a word that, that, that talks about missing the mark. Missing the mark of requirements of God's standards for what is right and wrong. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is missing the mark in not just how we live, but what we live for. It is both in our motives as well as in our actions. And that we miss the mark here is so extensive, it presents a gigantic problem for us. Sin, please hear this, sin is actually a problem that no one can solve themselves. There is no hope within you to solve this. It is such a big deal. You see, I think most of us, and this was kind of what I had always thought, that missing the mark, this, this word used in the New Testament for sin, it's like you have a, a, a target and you're shooting arrows at it. And it's like the bullseye is right here and we're all around it, but we don't hit the mark. We don't hit the target. That's not what he's talking about here at all. That we're close, but not close enough. It's more like this. When I was in junior high, I did, I, 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 I was part of track and field and I did long jump at that time I think I could jump maybe 12 I don't know what it was um, 12 feet 13 feet Uh, now you take a professional broad jumper they're jumping 28 29 feet they're talking about jumping a long way So here's the deal. Here's what this image is that he's talking about here. It isn't about missing the mark on a target. It's like we're standing in California and we're trying, our target is Hawaii. Now I can jump now probably a good foot or two (laughs) if I get a, a running start and don't get too tired before I have to push. But it's like standing on, on the coast of California and saying, I'm going to jump to Hawaii, which is thousands of miles away. Listen, I may only get a few feet. Someone else who maybe is a little bit better may go 10 or 12 feet. A, a professional broad jumper may go 28 feet, but we're all woefully short of the target. We're not even close to the target. That's the picture he's giving to us here. 28 feet may be further than I can go, and if we're comparing it to one another, we may feel better about ourselves, but we're still, if the target's Hawaii, then we're way short. And the truth is, nobody can jump that far. 
We all miss the target. We're not even close to what is needed. We're not even close to what God says. And here's the deal. When it comes to God's law and are missing the mark, it is not like, oh, I just missed it a little. We missed it by a long shot. This is what scripture means when it says we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is our sin. We have violated God's law. And the offense is so immense. It is so big that we have no hope in ourselves of ever even coming close to that mark. We don't have it in us to get even near the target, much less hit the target. We know that in this church, we talk about sin often. We talk about sin because Scripture talks about it so much. And we want what we say to come from and to be based on Scripture. And Scripture says that sin is an ongoing problem. And the, the Scripture actually tells us that sin is all around, but the greatest, the greatest enemy that we face is not the sin that's around us, it's the sin that's inside of us. And we are told that that sin enslaves. That's exactly what Jesus was pointing out here. The sin it enslaves and it is a vicious taskmaster. And it leaves a person deceived and broken. And more importantly, it leaves a person under the judgment of God for their sin. My grandfather, who was a pastor and a preacher for 70 plus years in central South Texas. He's with the Lord now. Uh, but he once, he once told me this. He said, Rob, the two biggest words in all of Scripture are sin and grace. Our sin and God's grace. You see, sin and grace are tied together and they cannot be understood apart from each other. To understand fully what grace is, we have to understand the depths of our sin. Otherwise, we get a distorted understanding of what grace is. And that's what was happening with these people. They didn't truly understand the sin in their life. If we don't understand sin, our understanding of grace will be shallow. Apart from sin, grace becomes this warm, fuzzy feeling thing that we talk about. Where we just get along with everybody, try to be kind and do a few good things. That's just this kind of warm, fuzzy thing that we talk about. Yet at the heart of true biblical grace is sacrifice. Specifically, Jesus was the sin sacrifice that made grace available. Grace is where we receive in our lives, not what we earn, but what Christ earned for us. We aren't getting what we deserve, but we get what Christ deserves. Because He sacrificed Himself as a payment for our sin. He took our bondage and He gave us His freedom. The Son sets us free. There is no way for us to understand how great our sin is apart from understanding how great a sacrifice was required to atone for that sin. Jesus said earlier in the chapter that unless you believe in me, you will die in your sin. In 8.24. And Jesus continues to challenge people's sense of freedom. 
today. And people continue to get offended by it. But the word is clear. Jesus is clear here. Freedom is in the Son and in knowing the truth concerning the Son, Jesus Christ. Without hesitation and without apology, we proclaim what Jesus said. That only if the Son sets you free can you actually be free from your sin. Please hear that. If you have not found your freedom in Christ, Jesus challenges you to see your life for what it is. Bondage. We know what our culture tells you. We know the message that's being promoted. And it's telling you that freedom is to be found other places. But Jesus is saying, freedom is truly in me and in my word and in my truth. It's freedom to live. It's freedom to be who God truly made you to be. It's freedom to be truly human as God has created us. It's freedom to enjoy the, the pleasures of God that come through Christ and Christ alone. And so when we come to this passage, it's like, don't listen to the voices all around you. The voices that are saying the only way to be free is to cast off the archaic, old-fashioned ideas of religion. Listen, the culture is feeding you a lie that if you will just believe in yourself and do what is in your heart, you'll be okay. You'll be okay with the world, but you won't be okay with God. And listen, if you think about it, that's all the world has to offer you. Be yourself, be true to your... That's it. All it is saying is it's just you standing in California looking to see if you can jump to, to Hawaii on your own. It is bondage. And it is deception, as we will see more in a little bit. Being yourself brings spiritual and moral bondage in your life. And then Jesus goes on and he talks about Addresses his true disciples. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. For those who truly believe in Christ and follow him, we must abide in his word. Our freedom is entrenched in abiding in Jesus and his word. You know what abide means? If someone says, where do you abide? You say, well, I live at such and such address. I live in this house. He's talking about where do you, where's your house? Where is it that you live in your life? So basically he's saying, you must abide in me. You must live in me. You must, your life must be saturated with my word. We are always in his word. We are always learning his word. We are always seeking to apply his word by the power of the spirit. That's what he's talking about when he says, you must abide in my word. Because truly my disciples do that. We aren't doing this because we want to be Bible scholars to impress other people with, with our knowledge of Scripture. That's what the Pharisees were about. We are abiding in His Word to know His Word and to obey His Word that we might abide actually in Christ. That's what Jesus is going to tell us in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in the vine or abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Brothers and sisters, listen. Our freedom is in Christ. Our continued experience and enjoyment of that freedom is found in abiding in Him and His Word. Whatever practice that works for you, just on a practical level, that brings you into God's Word or brings God's Word into you on some kind of regular basis, just follow that. There's all kinds of Bible reading plans out there. The motive isn't to get through something. The, the, the motive behind this is that we might abide in His Word. So whatever it is that works for you, do that. I have followed off and on for the last 10 years or so a Bible plan that has me reading 10 different chapters from the Bible a day. That's just one approach to it. And it's like I had a good friend of mine who used to joke. He said, hey, Rob, you want to know what the best workout routine is the best workout routine to follow for getting in shape I said no what's that you know there are all kinds out there he says the one you will do so find one that works and just start if you don't have one already go to the word something that will help you to abide in the word and thereby abiding in Christ Read the word of Christ to know Christ. Read the word of Christ to obey Christ. This is where our continued experience of freedom is found. This is where we have, we're being set free from our sin because of the sacrifice of Christ. It's where it takes hold in our lives. Second, Jesus challenged their sense of identity. He not only challenged their sense of freedom, but he challenged their sense of identity. He would challenge how they thought about themselves. He challenged their true lineage. And he struck at the root of this massive cultural identity that the Jews had in claiming that Abraham was their father. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you were truly of Abraham, then you would believe and follow me. But they don't. And the more Jesus begin, talks here, the further away they seem to be going. So instead of moving towards Jesus and believing in Jesus, they strike back at Jesus, accusing Jesus of being born out of scandalous sin. That was the mockery. We were not born out of sexual immorality. Maybe they were referring to the fact of Mary and the conception of Jesus. The kind of rumors that would have been spread. But Jesus replies back, not only are you not true descendants of Abraham, you actually have another father. And that father is a liar and a murderer. He is the devil. You are of your father, verse 44, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of, of lies. You know how to tell if Satan's lying? 
If he's speaking, he's lying. Okay? Jesus said, your faith in your lineage is misplaced. You have wrong desires. You falsely accuse me and then you want to kill me. You are lying about me and you're trying to murder me. You are of your father, the devil. Those are the desires that align with him and how he is and how he operates and what he is about. He is a liar. And for the entirety of the human race, the devil has been a liar and a murderer. That is his nature. And he is active to deceive. He is active to delude. He is active to destroy. He wants to distort. And as we read, he wants to still kill as well. That is his nature. His very existence is given to destroying the work of Christ and undermining the word of Christ. There is no good in him. He is devoted to his cause to disrupt, to deter, to defy, to denounce, and to destroy all things of Christ and of Christ's people. That's what he's about. So, put yourself in the, the shoes of these people hearing Jesus. You think that would have been something sobering to hear Jesus accuse them of? They had to have been thrown way off. I mean... Quite the contrary to what they believed concerning their lineage. Jesus said they had aligned themselves with the very opposite. Their response to Jesus accords with the devil. Now, please understand. I think some people take this too far. Jesus isn't assigning them complete evil. He's not making them into devils. And this is not saying that they are as evil as they could be, like the devil is. He is saying what they are doing in their response to him and the desires that motivate them in their response to him align with the devil, not with the Lord. Unbelief in Jesus is evil. I think there's two equally mistakes that we make concerning the devil. We either make too much of him or we make too little of him. Both are spiritually unhealthy. So what is our response to the devil? We're aware of what he's doing. We're aware of what's going on. Here's our response to the devil. It is this truth. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. We need to camp out there. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. He has set us free from our sin. He has paid the sacrifice in full so that we are no longer enslaved to sin. We are no longer in bondage to darkness. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Let that capture your heart. He is the Son that sets people free for all who will trust in Him. Listen, for all the devil's evil intent and scheming, his power, truly his power, is deception and delusion. His power is in his ability to lie to people. He is a roaring lion, the scripture says. But the scripture also portrays him as a lion that has his claws He's been declawed and his fangs taken out. 
His greatest work is to keep people from Christ, to throw obstacles to coming to Christ and to believing in Him. So we know that the devil is work all around, but we know that our God is at work all around and He is greater. And that is our continued confidence that He who the Son sets free is free indeed. And Satan cannot enslave that person. Let's go on. This leads to our final point. Jesus challenged their sense of theology. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are Samaritan and have a demon? Jump down to verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I wish I could have been there when Jesus said this to those Jews. There must have been a loud gasp that took place among those people. Think first for a moment about the downward spiral of unbelief of these people. Verse 30 and 31, we're told that these people believe in him. They then, after verse 31, they then begin to argue with Jesus because they are offended by him. They accuse him of being the product of sin. They now try to insult him by saying he's a Samaritan. And they even go so far as to say he is, is demon-possessed. And to all of this, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. It would have been startling enough if Jesus said, before Abraham was, I was. But that's not what he says here. This is a direct reference to the Lord God who identified himself to Moses and to the nation of Israel as the great I am. And when he said it, those people there instantly knew what he was talking about. He wasn't just claiming to be pre-existent. He wasn't just claiming to be this great person. He was saying, I am God. That's why verse 59, they picked up stones to throw at him. Jesus challenged their theology. Theology is just the big word that, that means for what a, it's what a person believes about God. Whatever their theology, what do they believe about God? Who he is, what he's like, what he requires, what he's about. That's what the, and he's challenging their theology. He's challenging what they understand about God. He challenged us in a big way. Jesus was saying, I am not just pre-existent. I am eternally pre-existent. I am the Lord God of all things. This speaks to the very nature of Jesus and who he is. And to this very day, that still challenges what people think and believe about him and about the Lord God. You see, family, Jesus is not, not just a good teacher who went around and did good things. Jesus was not just a friend of sinners. Jesus was not... Just a, a, a friend who, who opposed or who was for the oppressed. Jesus was not just a sin atoning sacrifice. Jesus was not just a man on a mission. Jesus was not just a Messiah. Listen, Jesus is God. And to come to Him is to come to the living God. 
And as God is all that, and as God, all that He promises and all that He provides because He is God. And there's no one, there's no person, there's no being, there's no power that can resist Him or overpower Him. He is God. That's why His sacrifice is so stunning. God died for our sins. And He was the only one that could do that. So we are called to truth in Jesus. We are called to Him to trust His Word. We are called to trust in His freedom and to trust He has not, has not nor ever will lead us astray. That He will save us to the very end. The eternal, existent God of all power and of all grace and all love. He is trustworthy. Listen, Jesus is challenging people today. He's challenging us this very morning. Are you free? Has the Son set you free? Or have you continued believing your bondage is freedom? Are your desires of the Lord? Or are your desires aligned with the evil one? Of unbelief, of contrary to Christ? Are you walking in the freedom of abiding in His word? Have you found your hope and confidence in Christ who is God and found Him completely trustworthy for your life and everything concerning you? Again and again we hear Jesus saying in John's Gospel, Come to me. Truly believe and you will find life. And not, not just life, you will find abundant life and you will find eternal life. In Jesus. It's not easy to be challenged. But it's necessary. How Jesus challenged these people 2,000 years ago. He continues to challenge us today. Both in the church. And those that he sends us to in this world. With this message. He who the Son sets free. Is free indeed. And there's freedom in no other place. Let's pray.